right, what's up, Liquid? How y'all doing? My name is, wow. Y'all are a rowdy bunch already. <laughs> well, listen, my name is Nathan. I am one of the pastors here today. Uh, before we jump in, will you join me welcoming those that are watching online as well as one of our campuses right now? What's up, everybody? It is so good to be here with you guys. We're wrapping up our series, Love, Sex, and Dating. And if I could just have an honest moment with all of you, don't tell anybody, you know, it's just a transparent moment between the few of us here. I'm kind of intimidated about preaching this message. So who was your last week for Pastor Tim's message here? Uh, okay, yeah, quite a few, right? And he was preaching on godly lovemaking, right? Uh, he's talking, you know, the message is called, you know, uh, let's talk about sex. It got hot and it got heavy. And if I'm honest, like, how do I follow that up, right? Like, like, how do you follow that up? By the way, did you know that the sale of yellow kitchen gloves, like, went through the roof last week? Like, look at Pastor Tim. Like, I think he got paid for modeling these gloves. And, you know, like, you know, so ladies, I hope you have cleaner kitchens and garages. You're welcome. We'll be here all week, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we're talking about, you know, you know, Pastor Tim, he gets to talk about, you know, leaping fawns and all this stuff. And, you know, he talked about, like, you know, uh, romance and intimacy and sex. And so what's there left for me to cover? Like, wh what do I do? Well, I get to cover conflict. I get to talk about resolving conflict. You know, he's talking about fawns leaping. I'm talking about bears fighting. And so it's a little bit like, oh man. But let's be honest here, like 95% of where we live in relationships is conflict, right? Like we have to deal with one another. And so, you know, this is actually, I think, where we need to be when it comes to relationships. In fact, you don't even have to be in a ro romantic relationship to have to deal with conflict, right? So, you know, you may be here and you're single, like, what is, how does this relate to me? Well, because you probably have a roommate, you probably have friends, you probably have family members. When there are relationships, there will be conflict. In fact, uh, when it comes to relationships, there's usually three phases that we all go through. The first phase is what I call the honeymoon phase, right? This is the phase where everything is awesome, everyone is sweet, they're great, you're great, everything's great. And psychologists usually say that this phase lasts for between 10 days and 12 months. And it gives way to what's known as disillusionment. So this is, this is the phase where you look deeply in your partner's eyes and you're like, I married the wrong person. Like, what, what was I thinking? Like, this person's a dirty, rotten sinner. They're egotistical. They're selfish. Like, what did I do? Like, what are my options to get, to get out of this thing, right? And, and the thing is, like, this is when you, you, you start to kind of, you know, you're realizing they do thoughtless actions. They say thoughtless things. They're not perfect. And you start to fight over weird things, right? And, and in, fact, you're, in fact, how many of you recognize some of these weird things? Check this video out. Maybe you fought over these today. What are you doing? Drying my hands. Those are the decorative towels. You can't use them. Why? Because they're decorative. Then why are they out? Because they're decorative. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is disgusting. Can you please go do it in the bathroom? Why? I don't want to miss the dessert round. No, you do this all the time, and I'm constantly finding people. I don't know where that went. How wonderful life is. Now you're in my world, my no, world. No, it's it my is, world. No, it is the world. Close all the way. Close all the way. Close all the way. Isn't that nice? Don't give him that. His stomach can't handle it. He'll get sick. Oh, he's a cat. He's fine. Told you. Shut up. Did you take a lactate? No. I'll be fine. Told ya. We, uh, you know, we start fighting over weird things. That's the disillusionment phase. And you know, uh, believe it or not, the disillusionment phase can actually be a gift. 
you can actually start to get an awareness about, you know, a window into kind of how you work, how you see things, the things that you might need to work on. And here's the gift. If you can push through the disillusionment phase, if you can work through it, eventually you get to the final phase, and that's the phase known as commitment. And commitments where both a man and woman, a husband and wife, decide to submit their individual preferences and desires to God and decide to obey Him. And they sacrifice their own needs so that they can lovingly serve one another out of delight, not just duty. In fact, here's the secret, right? You guys ready? Lean in close. Here's the secret. God did not design marriage to make you happy. All right, let that sink in a little bit, all right? God did not design marriage to make you happy. He designed it to actually make you holy. Because God's desire for you is that you'd be more like him, that you'd be kind like him, loving like him, generous like him. And marriage is one of the ways that God is able to do that. If you marry knowing that God is going to use this person in your life to make you more like him, to make you a better version of yourself, the byproduct of that is happiness. But if you look to go into marriage to have someone else make you happy, you could lose both. Which is why, more than anything else, we aren't called to pursue happiness. We pursue Christ. We pursue Him. And as we pursue Him, He actually transforms us so we can have a life that's both holy and happy. Now, that's exactly what Solomon and his wife are about to learn in this next section of Scripture we're going to look at in Song of Songs chapter 5. Now, Solomon, you know, and his wife, we kind of watched this amazing courtship. It's been incredible. But the thing is, they're not perfect people. In fact, one of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible is actually about imperfect people and a perfect God and how they interact with one another. And we're going to see Solomon and his wife have a fight. They're going to go at it fisticuffs. Um, a lot more gently, though. But, you know, they're going to deal with some conflict and some of those issues there. And so before we kind of jump in, I want to set the context for you here. Um, we're actually going to get a glimpse into their bedroom in chapter 5, verse 2. And you remember last time we were in their bedroom, it was kind of getting hot and heavy. Well, now it is anything but. It is cooled off completely. In fact, Solomon is nowhere to be found, nowhere to be seen in this situation. In fact, we get this picture of her, and she's in bed by herself, and she's restless. She's not quite asleep. She's not quite awake in that kind of weird in-between time. And then she says this. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen. Listen. My lover is knocking. So it's late at night. You know, we don't know what time it is. You know, for some of you, it could be 7.30 because that's late at night, right? And, and so it's late, and she's tired. She's in bed, and then all of a sudden, she hears the knocking, and she knows that it's her lover. And here's what he says. He says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one, oh, perfect one. He's talking all sweet. You know what he wants, right? <laughs> He's coming and talking sweet, saying, baby, I love you. You're so wonderful. Open up the door to me. And, you know, he's having this sweet talk, and he goes on, and he says, Girl, my head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. Don't you know I've been working so hard? I've been working so hard saving the money and making sure that, you know, you're taken care of, like you're living the life that you've always wanted to live, saving for a vacation, you know, paying down debt. And he's kind of laying it on thick, laying it on thick, thinking, you know what, he's, he's ready for the honeymoon. He's still in the honeymoon phase. She, however, has moved on. She's moved to the disillusionment phase. Check out how she answers. She says this, I have just taken off my robe. Must I get it on again? Uh, I washed my feet. Must I soil them again? Now, this is very technical Hebrew. What essentially she's saying is this. I have a headache. Go away. <laughs> you, you know, so, you know, she's, he's coming in for some love, and she's like, I'm not in the mood. 
And there could be all sorts of reasons. Maybe she worked a really long day and she's just drained. Uh, maybe she had the kids all day and she was taking care of them, taking them from one event to the next and having homework and putting them to bed. Or it could simply be that he wasn't home for dinner. She didn't know where he was, and she's still kind of ticked about that. But wh whatever it may be, you know, all of a sudden they're kind of expectations back, right? He came in to be Romeo, and she's like, I ain't going to be your Juliet. And their expectations are out of whack, moving towards an iceberg known as conflict. And, you know, which actually is going to lead us to our first point. I want to look at a couple root causes of conflict today. And the first is unmet expectations. So disillusionment usually comes when one person actually uh, lets us down. You know, like we have this expectation of what something's supposed to be like, and then all of a sudden they let us down, and, and, and this is reality. Here's the expectation, here's reality. And this gap is where the conflict takes place. And so here's what happens here. You know, Solomon, you know, you know Solomon's wife is waiting for him. He's, he's not home yet, and she's upset. She's like, he hasn't called me. He hasn't texted. Like, what's his problem? Like, I, I want to know where he is. I'm getting worried. And he's probably been working late, probably doing, you know, a double shift. He comes home, and he's like, man, I, I need a little bit of a reward. I want to know that I'm appreciated. And he comes in, and she's like, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I washed my feet. Must I soil them again? What she's saying is this. Listen, I just took a shower, and I just put on my flannel pajamas, and I got the blanket, and I'm comfortable right now, and I'm going to watch Netflix eating gummy bears. You want to do what? No way! I'm not in the mood for that. You know, when it comes to unmet expectations, it's not always about sex. Sometimes it's even just the way you were raised, right? Like, like maybe you were raised where, you know, dad fixed everything, right? If something broke, dad fixed it. And this dude can't even fix lunch. Or, or maybe, you know, dad, he would take care of the garbage. Dad would take care of the bills. And, and now this guy's like, you know, the garbage kind of smells funny. I don't really want to deal with that, babe. Can you handle that? And, and he's not great with money. He's a spender. So now, so now you're doing the garbage and you're doing the bills and it's just kind of annoying. You have these unmet expectations. And meanwhile, he's like, well, you know, my mom always used to make stuff from scratch. Why does she always have to go and get takeout? You know, like she, she wants me to help with the household chores. Like my mom would always do that. And all of a sudden, it's like this perfect collision of conflict. So let me ask you, do you have unmet expectations in your relationships? And it doesn't even have to be if you're married. I mean, you could be single and in a roommate situation or, or, you know, with your family and have those same issues. You know, maybe you and one of your good friends decide, hey, let's, let's be roommates. Let's live together. This is going to be awesome. A and you think this is going to be great because you're always hanging out anyway. But then three months in, you're like, I have made a terrible mistake. And, you know, maybe you're like an introvert and you like your alone time. You like to read your book and you like to, you know, pursue your zen and mindfulness. And they're like a crazy extrovert, right? They're having everyone over, and they're always hanging out all night long. And you're like, I, I can't handle this. I, I, need, I need some space. I need a break, right? Unmet expectations leading to conflict. And when we have them in our relationships, but if we have them at a deeper level as well, right? If they keep kind of going on and on, it could actually be really a work, work, be a work of catastrophe in our lives. I think of uh, couples, maybe you know them, maybe they've been together for 15, 20 years, and it just seems like they're glorified roommates. You know, he kind of does his thing here, and she does her thing here, and he's got his friends and his bank account, and she's got her friends and her bank account, and, and they're like literally living separate lives. And maybe they have a moment where, you know, he looks at her and goes, I just, I, I was just hoping you'd be the wife that I, I really wanted. And she looks back at him and says, well, you're not really the husband I signed up for. 
And there's no transparency and there is no vulnerability in their relationship. There's no shared intimacy. And pretty soon, if their expectations aren't brought to the surface, what will happen is they're going to eat the bread of bitterness and disappointment. And they're both feeling, I did not sign up for this. This is not what I wanted. Which leads to a second root cause of conflict, which is self-centeredness. It's all about me. Me, me, me. I, 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 I. Solomon says, I want to be intimate. I want to be with you like on our honeymoon. And his wife's like, no, no, I don't want that. I'm not in the mood for that. And maybe for, for her, she just wants to maybe sit down and talk. She just wants to catch up with him and, and know how he's doing. And he's so frustrated that he didn't get his own way. He's ignoring her and just flipping through the channels and just t- tuning her out. And what that does, is it just breaks her trust and it breaks the sense of intimacy, and, and all of a sudden they're back in the sense of conflict, or, or maybe there's self-centeredness in how the money is used, right? Guys, she comes home, and, and she's bought another pair of shoes. You're like, why do you need another pair of shoes? She goes, well, this one goes with this dress, and you're like, but you have 30 other pairs, and then she's like, well, why do you need a new iPhone? You, you just got the newest one, and now you're upgrading again. Do you really need a new one? And then all of a sudden, the conflict is about finances, and it kind of bo- rolls out that way. See, Self-centeredness and unmet expectations, if kind of left on their own, they can wreak havoc in your relationship. It can actually be a corrosive force like acid on the foundation of trust and intimacy that you're trying to build. It can cause all sorts of chaos and erosion. In fact, that's what happened to uh, my friends Doi and Lulu. Doi and Lulu, um, they're a couple that attends liquid with their family. They've got a beautiful family. Uh, they're phenomenal people, but it hasn't always been like that for them. In fact, um, early on in their marriage, they married young, and they were apart for seven years, and it caused all sorts of chaos. Unmet expectations and self-centeredness kind of ran things in their marriage. And so, Doyle and Lulu, I want to thank you guys so much for kind of opening up your heart and sharing with us your story, and I want us to kind of get a, a glimpse of what was going on in those early years of their marriage. Take a look. Uh, we've been married close to 30 years. It'll be 30 years in December. When we first got married, we s- faced challenges right away. We were married in the Philippines in 1989, and two days after our wedding, she had to fly back to the U.S. Right away, there was separation. So we had a child born and growing up, and I wasn't there. When I finally came here, all the years of separation what had built up in me was this expectation. All I could think of was, where's this promise of a beautiful marriage? Where's this passion and longing and wanting and just companionship? Everything was about work. I got so used to the uh, lifestyle of just working. Back then I was working in, in New York City. So when he came and he saw that I was very independent, I was doing things on my own. He actually said to me um, a, n- a number of times that, you don't really need me. Why did I come here? That became my excuse to even add more to that conflict by looking for something else outside of marriage. I'll forever be sorry for everything that I've done that has hurt you. I discovered later on in our marriage that there was unfaithfulness. Obviously, you know, the trust is gone. The distance was getting 
bigger and the gap was getting bigger and bigger between us. So in one of the arguments, as voices were getting raised, I said, I want a divorce. That's the first half of Doi and Lulu's story. And it's pretty painful to hear that. And I just want to acknowledge that maybe for some of you, that, that pain is pretty fresh. The fruits of unmet expectations and self-centeredness. It can lead to disconnect and ultimately to that D word, divorce. He's not meeting my needs. She's always being critical of me. He's been unfaithful. Our differences are irreconcilable. And that's how the majority of marriages go in our culture, right? 50% of marriages are now ending in divorce. Can I just say something as your pastor? I want to talk to some of you who either are going through a divorce, maybe you're newly single today, uh, maybe, you know, you're in that process, uh, or maybe you went through a divorce in the past, and there are all sorts of reasons for it. You were in a toxic relationship or abuse. And I just want to say to you that here at Liquid, you are welcome here. And we love you, and we want to come alongside of you as you are seeking healing and wholeness from some of the things that you've experienced. You know, as Pastor Tim said last week, we serve a God of second chances. See, we have a God who says your story is not finished yet. Your story is still being written by his hand. And I just want to encourage you, he has plans to prosper you and not harm you, to give you hope, to give you a future. He is not done with you yet. In fact, as a church, we want to come alongside of you. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. Um, we want to help you have any resources you need to help with your healing and wholeness, whether it's in, in counselors or things like that. We, again, want to count, come alongside of you because we believe that God is not done with you. You know, I love about Doi and Lulu's story is it actually has a redemptive ending. There's, it actually ends with hope because here's the truth. If we believe in a God that raised Jesus from the dead, we believe in a God that can take dead marriages and make them alive again. Can I get an amen, church? Can I get an amen? Because that's what our God does. So I want to spend this next section of this message talking about some really, really practical stuff, even some practical tools and how you can resolve conflict in your marriage, in your roommate situation, with family, coworkers. Really, really practical. But the thing is, the only way this is going to work is you've got to make some commitments. You've got to make some decisions and you need to say, I'm going to do this. First, first I want to go through the first commitment. In fact, say these words with me. I commit, I commit. to talk, talk, not walk. All right, so let's jump back into the story here. You know, we've got Solomon and his wife, and they're having this conflict, and they've got some unmet expectations, and there's some selfishness that's happening. In verse 4, it says this. Uh, she says, My beloved, he, he thrust his hand through the latch opening, and, and my heart began to pound for him. And I arose to open for my beloved. My hand dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. And so here's what happened. She's like, you know, all comfortable in her, in her, in her bed, and she gets up to go open the door for him. And, and, and here's what happens, because she's gearing up for a fight. And then she says, I opened the door for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. So what's going on here? Well, she's amped up for a fight. She's ready to kind of give him a piece of her mind, and he's gone. He's just not there. Well, how do you think that makes her feel? Well, she tells us, my heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. He went silent. And depending on how you grew up, maybe that's how conflict was modeled to you. Maybe you had a dad that basically would shove it all underneath and then it kind of blow up later. He would say, fine, 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 whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. 
And maybe you've been in that situation, because usually this is with guys, right? Like we're in a conflict situation and there's a fight going on and we're just getting more and more frustrated and we don't have the words to say. All these emotions are kind of flooding through us. And so what do we do? We walk away. Thinking, okay, I just got to get out of here. And then what happens is our partner or our spouse, they actually follow us. And we're like, you're trying to get away from the situation. You're flooded with the emotion. And maybe you do this. You just kind of, you know, sit and you just kind of pout. You're like, I'm, I'm not, not going to deal with this right now. And what does your partner do? They start yelling. They start getting more louder or more, or more emphatic. And you're like, this person's crazy. This person's nuts. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't act like that. I'm not crazy. But here's the thing. What you're doing is actually toxic to your relationship. And the reason why is because even though you're flooded with these emotions, your partner needs to know that you're in the conflict with them, not against them. Guys, when we do this, this is incredibly wounding to our wives, and here's why. They want to know that that you're going to always be there fighting for their hearts. And when you shut down, it tells them, I don't care about you. Now, the reality is that maybe for some of us, because I know for me, like, I didn't know what I was feeling in those moments, and I've actually had to learn over time, okay, I need to communicate to my wife, hey, listen, I know that we're having this conflict right now, but I I need to call a timeout because I have no idea what I'm feeling right now. I just need, like, maybe five, ten minutes to process this, and then we can maybe have a more productive conversation. Like, I've had to learn how to do that when I have those moments where I'm just flooded with emotion rather than just shutting down and running away. See, I'm committed to talk, and not walk, which sometimes means I might need to actually have a timeout just so I can actually have a conversation that's going to go someplace. So as we kind of read this story, you know, he's kind of walked away, so she finally is going to look for him. She's like, I'm going to find this guy. And so in verse 10, she, she, she looks around, and she finds him, and man, she, she's going to give it to him good. She's going to give him a piece of her mind. You ready for this? Here's what she says. She goes, my lover is radiant and ruddy outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. Man, she told him off good, didn't she? Man, she gave it to him. You're like, what? What happened to the conflict? I thought they were fighting. Well, they are fighting. They're, They're still in their conflict, but she has a choice in this moment. She can either take the, the arrows of criticism and complaints, or she can choose blessing and love. See, they're, they're still in this place where they're arguing and they're fighting, but she is choosing to actually speak words of blessing to him, to speak words of kindness to him, words of tenderness to him. Because what happens is, remember, there's the expectation and reality. There's a gap there. And the way you close that gap is by speaking tender words, kind words, She's remembering why she loved him. She's remembering why she married him. She's remembering why they're in relationship together. This brings us to the second commitment for a healthy relationship. Say this with me, church. I commit that even when it's tough, I will be tender and not go to Tinder. Okay, just, just want to make sure, you know, Tinder is not the answer. It's not the way. Um, but we want to be tender. And, you know, this is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? Like when you're in a fight and someone's really like, you know, going after you and and there's criticism and you want to criticize them back. They're nasty to you and you want to get nasty with them back, right? They hit you and you hit them back, right? You, You want to kind of get into this verbal battle with them back and forth, back and forth. But the problem is when you lash out in anger, it doesn't make you feel better. It makes you feel bitter, right? Like how many of us, you know, when you've had an argument with your spouse or your partner and you're like, I won the argument, but really you didn't win right? You still lose. 
So what would happen if rather than barking and growling at the other person, you know, and really going after them, what if you actually paused and actually listened to what the Holy Spirit wanted you to say in that moment? What if you could actually be a blessing to them in the midst of that? Because think about it this way, right? Why do we think that in our marriage that when we're attacked and we try to defend ourselves, why do we think that criticism will actually work for the other person? Think about this logically for a minute. What other relationships are you in where criticism actually works? Does it work at, at work or, or with family members or at school in, in your family? But when even one person decides, I'm going to stop being tough, I'm going to uh, bring down my, my hard exterior, and I'm going to choose to be tender. See, that's exactly when the Spirit of God starts to break through. That's when we can actually experience God doing some changes in us. Uh, you, know, um, you know, one of the things that I kind of struggle with in my marriage is, is remembering things and details. And, you know, my wife, she is incredible. She keeps track of so many things in her head between the kids and us and her own job. And so every once in a while, she's like, hey, can you help me out? Can you, can you do the grocery shopping for me? And she'll give me the list. And I go, absolutely. You know, my wife does so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the groceries for her. I'm going to, you know, take some time out of my busy schedule to get the groceries. And so I go, and I go to Wegmans, and I get all the groceries, and I have them all in the cart. And, and then, I, you know, I go home, and, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I give them and put them away. And then, you know, my wife goes through them, she goes, hey, by the way, where's, where's the ground turkey? I go, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, we need to get three pounds of ground turkey. Like, we have people coming over, and we have, like, no, no meat for them. Like, you know, like, were you paying attention to the list? Like, you know, like, were you thinking about your next sermon? Like, what happened here? Like, you know, where, where is it? And, and I'm getting flustered. I'm, like, thinking, well, you know, I, I took time to go get food for you, you know, like, I, I'm getting all kind of huffy. I'm like, she's being critical to me, but, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, and I, and I want to kind of get ready to get in this fight and, be, and defend myself, but I had this one of these rare moments where I'm like, you know, babe, you were, you're right. I am so sorry. Let me go back to the store. I'll make sure to get the ground beef. If you need anything else, just text me, and I will make sure I get it. So I go back in the car. I go to the store, and I'm having, like, this time with Jesus. Where I'm like, I can't believe she's so mad at me. Like, I, 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 I work really hard. I'm doing all these things, doesn't she know? Like, you know, I work, you know, and I'm going off into this, and like, Lord Jesus, you need to change her because, you know, on and on and on it goes, right? And, and then, you know, I get a text from my wife, which I read after the car stops, right, at, at, the, at the stop and shop or wherever I was. And so I read the text, and she kind of gives me a couple extra things. She gets those, hey, babe, I just want to say that I love you. I appreciate everything you do. Um, I, I didn't mean to get annoyed with you, and so I love you. And she gave me the emoji with the two hearts, and I was like, Aw, look, we're, we're, we're back, we're back, we're back where we were, right? Better than before, right? And, you know, here's the thing. Early on, I think, in our marriage, I think in most marriages, whenever someone breaks our expectations, we want to change our spouse rather than change our expectations. We think, okay, if I can change them, but here's the deal. We can't change anyone else. You can't change your spouse. You can't change your roommate. Only God can do that. You know what your job is? To pray for them and to love them. To pray for them to give, give them t kind and tender words, to be gentle and generous with them. And you know what? Maybe God will change them. Maybe God will do that work with them. But even if he does it, you know what does happen? God changes you. God transforms you. And he makes you into the kind of person that you are meant to be. He, he makes you the kind of person that can choose to be tender even though things get tough. Now guys, let's just you know, call out the reality here. Relationships are hard, right? If I could talk to the married people for a second here, marriage is hard, right? 
You know, I talk to people who say to me, Nathan, I don't know if I could ever get married because it seems so hard. And it is hard, but it's also rewarding. It, it takes a lot of work to make a marriage strong and to kind of really kind of um, dig into that and, and make it rooted and always kind of facing all these things that are trying to kind of tear it apart. Which is why you need people to help you in your marriage. You can't do marriage just the two of you. You need literally a community around you. In fact, one of the things that I love about our church is we actually have a ministry for married people. In fact, we call it marriage mentoring. In fact, right now I want to invite the ushers at all of our campuses to go ahead and pass these cards out. You guys can go ahead and come on down. Make sure you can pass them down. We can see which campus hands them out the fastest, right? So here's what you can do. Once you get one of these cards, go ahead and wave them at me right here. And even if you're looking at a screen, the Spirit will help me sense that you're waving. Like, I'll be able to feel the wind. Okay, Middlesex County, I can feel the wind. So go ahead, pass these down, ushers. You can grab one, grab two, grab three. Uh, we've kind of did a rebranding of these cards. Maybe you've seen them before. And on the back, we've got kind of three sections. We've got red, green, and yellow. And we've got kind of some interesting things we've been doing in this front. Now, what we've always been doing as a church is actually doing marriage mentoring for engaged couples. Because what happens is when a couple gets engaged, they're thinking about one thing and one thing only, the wedding. So they're thinking about the cake and the dress and the party and all that stuff. Our goal for marriage mentoring for engaged couples is we want to actually get you thinking about the day after. We want to get you thinking about the marriage. And so we actually will team you up with a couple who's been married for a, a little bit of a longer time. They've got some miles on the odometer. They can help you process through things like spending and conflict and kind of all those kind of different issues that you're going to face when you're an engaged couple. Now here's what I'm really excited to kind of share with you. One of the newest things that we're doing uh, this spring is we're actually going to be doing something for newlywed couples. If you look at the green box here, we are going to have something for couples who are actually flowing out of the honeymoon stage and they're realizing, oh my gosh, I married the wrong person. Like, what do I do? Like, they are a sinner. Uh, what, what's the next step? And so, you know, this is where we kind of say to you, that's okay. This is part of the process. And we start giving them some information so that they can take steps to actually strengthen their marriage for the long haul. And then the other group in yellow here that you're going to see is actually for folks who've been married for five years and over. And maybe you and your spouse, you've kind of weathered some pretty big storms and you've gone through some things, but maybe it's not where you want it to be. It's not as fiery and as passionate as you were hoping it once was. Well, we're going to have a group for you to get connected with where you can actually help kind of refuel those fires by looking to Jesus as the lover of our soul. He's going to lead and guide you into kind of rekindling those flames. And so if you want more information about these groups and what we offer for marriage, you can go to liquidchurch.com slash marriage. And there we'll have all the information. And that's actually where you're going to learn things like how do you talk and not walk? What do you do with all those emotions start to flood you and you're kind of overwhelmed? You're going to learn how to be tender even though things are tough. How do I choose and cultivate that on a regular basis? And then you're also going to learn this third commitment, which we're going to talk about now, which is this. Say this with me, church. I commit. I, commit. I will forgive as I've been forgiven. So, you know, we're looking at Solomon and his wife, and we see that they're an imperfect couple. We see that they're just like us. You know, it's not always romance and flowers 24-7. They're in a conflict. And then we see that their friends are also getting involved because they're part of a community, and her friends come around her, and they say, hey, listen, are you doing okay? Like, we noticed that there's some conflict there. How can we pray? Do you want us to find Solomon and beat him up for you, right? That's essentially what, 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 what's going on here. And she says this. She goes, no, no, things are good because, you see, my lover— has gone down to his garden 
to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. Now remember, they're in conflict, but we're starting to see the conflict turn. They're starting to get some resolution. They're starting to work through some of these issues, and she says that they're in the garden together. You guys remember what Pastor Tim said the garden symbolized? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? The garden symbolized their wedding bed. They're working through conflict, and then they are having makeup sex. It's in the Bible, folks. I'm not being crass. It's right there, right? That'll be like the next like, tweet, right? He hasn't bailed on the marriage. He's sticking around. And not only that, she's not holding a grudge. She's forgiven him, and they are reconciling. They're coming back together. I mean, listen to these tender words he speaks over his wife. He says this. He says, you are beautiful, my darling, as Terza. Terza is like the Miami beach of Israel. Lovely as Jerusalem, the holy city. Majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes away from me because you overwhelm me. You see, he says, you're like the holy city, Jerusalem. You're holy. You're set apart for the purposes of God, just like marriage. Because remember, marriage is not designed to make you happy. It's designed to make you what? Holy. Holy. See, marriage is not just about a physical connection or even just an emotional connection. It's actually a spiritual one. Above all else, it is about a commitment to God. So married couples, you need to understand this. Your marriage was made by God and must be submitted to Christ. And because of that, when there's a conflict, when you experience difficult times and hard times, God has called you to forgive. God has called you to forgive just like Jesus did. Now, how did Jesus forgive? Jesus forgave perfectly. Jesus forgave uh, completely and almost right away. And so whatever the conflict is, whatever the situation, God has called you and I to, to work through the issues of forgiveness. I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians. He says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, there is a connection between the vertical, our relationship with God, and the horizontal, our relationship with people. If we've experienced the forgiveness of God through salvation, if we've experienced being made right with God, then we are called to work and make forgiveness happen with the people in our lives. And where the vertical intersects with the horizontal, it's at the cross. It's at the cross where Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for us. He died for your sins and my sins so that we could be reconciled with God, so that we could have relationship with him. And once we are reconciled with God, he calls and challenges us to reconcile with one another. In fact, church, say this word with me, reconcile. Reconcile. It's actually two words. It's interesting. So if you come over here, and if I, if I cover up the R-E here, you've got the word concile. It's where we get the word conciliatory from, which is more like, yeah, you know, you're in a conflict situation. You're having a fight. You're like, fine, whatever you want, whatever, 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 right? You're basically kind of placating them. And it's not very emotionally satisfying. But what reconciliation means is that you're working through the issue so that you can actually make things better than they were before. The roommate situation is better now than before when we had conflict. It's actually making things better than it could have been before that. And that's really something that takes time. Reconciliation is something that takes time, but not only that, it takes the power of God. You cannot do that on your own. I mean, that's what Doi and Lulu discovered. You know, when Doi and Lulu were going through their struggles in their marriage, they were told, you know what you need to do? You need to take her on some nice dates. 
You need to take her out and, and really do that on a regular basis and, and, have, and, and date more. Or you know what? Flowers. You should make sure she has flowers at work. Make sure she has flowers at home. You should always be getting her flowers and going on nice vacations. That's what's going to fix your marriage. That's what's going to make things better. But you probably know what happened. It did make things better. Because this does not have the power to overcome unmet expectations, self-centeredness, and unfaithfulness. Only the power of the cross, the power of reconciliation, can make that happen. Check this out. As I was praying, I, I asked God, I said, please let me know if this is really what you want. I heard him. I heard him say to me that, you know, you're in this marriage and you made a vow, and it's not just with him. This vow is with me as well. And, that, and in that vow, you know, the promise is that you're going to stay together and stick together, and you should work, work through this. God gave me a sign. It was clear as day that divorce was not the way. Only in the last five years can I really say, we're really heading towards a happy marriage. It, 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 we had to go to a point of like a total destruction and, 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 and dismantling to go into the perfection of shining like a diamond and just, it's very hopeful. We know that we can always turn to Jesus and He would always be there to help us through it. And it's not so heavy anymore. And as two people that are Christ followers, the thing that was missing was, was really God being in it at the core of everything. Can we just praise God for a resurrected marriage? Because that is something that the power of God can do. The power of God can bring reconciliation to situations where it seems that there are no reconciliation. He can bring hope. He can bring healing. Because once we understand what Jesus has done for us, he can make things better than they were before. When we understand that he's died for us so that we can have life in him, and he's made things better, we have things better with God than it was before we knew him, he wants to do the same in all of our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our families. And it can only be done through the power of God on the cross. Amen. Can I just say something? I just feel like the Lord's just putting this on my heart right now. There's some of you right now, and you're in a battle right now. But the Lord wants you to know that you are actually changing for a legacy, not just your own marriage, not just for your own situation, but literally for the generations that are coming after you, you need to fight through and reconcile. I don't know who that's for, but I think that's for someone at one of our campuses or online. Because you're changing an entire cycle of a generation. Because I love what Doy says, you know, a marriage is not just, you know, it's, it's not just about two people. It's about three people. It's a man, it's a woman, and it's God who've come together. And it's about not just speaking love and saying love, but actually demonstrating love. I love how what Paul says, he says this, he says, God demonstrated his, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are we willing to demonstrate love? Not just talk about it, but actually be about it, church. You see, the only way to do that is actually by inviting Christ to come into the center of it. To actually invite Christ to come into the core. Because when Christ is in the core, 
Here's the reality. You can weather the storms and the stressors that are coming at you. When Christ is not in the core, all of those things will get washed away. When Christ is at your core, when Christ is at your center, you will have the ability to commit to talk and not walk. You'll have the power and the ability to be tender when things are tough, and you can forgive because you remember how your Savior has forgiven you and reconciled things between you and your God in heaven. But we need to say, Jesus, I'm going to commit to make you the core. So here's what I want to do across all our campuses. I actually want us to pray and invite Jesus to become the core in our relationships. And maybe if you're like, you know, I'm not really in a, in a relationship. Well, you need him to be the core of your life. And so what I want us to do is actually pray so that we would actually commit today, right now, maybe for some of you it's a recommitment to make Jesus a part of your core, the core of your life. So go ahead and pray this prayer with me out loud. Just repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus, I commit to you. I understand that I'm a sinner. I bring sin into my relationships. But you have defeated sin on the cross. So would you be the core into my life? Would you be the core in my relationships? And I dedicate myself, I dedicate my relationships to following you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just praise God for doing a work of reconciliation in our hearts right now?